1 John uh, chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. This is God's word. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Amen. And we praise God for his eternal word. I was told a, a little story this week which made me smile. Uh, a member of our congregation had been watching videos uh, which were of the doctor, late Dr. Ian Paisley. And the message I received was this particular individual thought that I was very like Paisley. Uh, and this individual was reminded of me when this individual was watching these videos of Big Ian. Uh, I want to just publicly declare today that any resemblance to Big Ian is purely coincidental. Uh, if you were to ask me, uh, I would tell you the truth. If you said, Scott, have you ever based your preaching style on that of Big Ian Paisley? I would tell you, never, never, never have I based my preaching style on the big lad. But it was a providential little story that made me smile because this passage reminded me of a day back in 1988 when actually Big Ian Paisley made a good success of Brexit. Maybe you remember or you don't, but back in the day, Pope John Paul II came to the European Parliament uh, and Dr. Ian Paisley protested uh, his presence at the Parliament. Maybe you remember, I vividly do, my mother was very, very embarrassed at the time, I remember that. Paisley made all the headlines, he was on the, the telly and the Ulster and all sorts of things protesting. Uh, somebody punched him in the face and the security guard afterwards apologised to him that he, he didn't protect him the way he should have. Uh, but Dr Paisley went to Europe and was exiting Europe in about five minutes flat. Theresa May should go this week and start denouncing the Pope and they'll say, right, get out. We don't want anything to do with you. That's what happened back in 1988. And if you remember that, then you remember the big word that Paisley was lambasting the Pope with back in the day was Antichrist. It was on a poster. It was guldered out from Dr. Paisley's mouth. Uh, it's something that he has called many people in his lifetime, the Pope and the Presbyterians, Antichrist. 
It's not a word you hear very much, and indeed it's not a word that you see very much in the scriptures. It's, it's only John who uses it here. Now, admittedly, other biblical authors speak of the same concept and the same thing, but Antichrist, Antichrist, whether you thought Paisley was right or wrong back in 1988, bears little matter. We look at this passage and we see what God tells us about Antichrist. But before we get there, there's a startling warning that begins this passage in 1 John chapter 2. John tells us in verse 18, in a very lovely way, he calls us children. Children. And it's almost uh, as if he's softening us up because he's about to tell us something very difficult. He says, children, it is the last hour. It is the last hour. Today we live and worship and preach in the last days. And I know that sounds very American preacher on the God Channel, and I know it sounds very hard line for an Ulster Presbyterian to be saying, but it is biblical. It is true. And today, as I preach to you, we are living in the last days. We will see why that is true in just a little second. But before I jump into the whole discussion about Antichrist, I want to take a little moment to focus on those few words with which John begins this passage, children, it is the last hour. John was writing this uh, just in the decades after Christ's ascension. John himself knew the Lord Jesus Christ and walked with him and listened to him and was taught by him. These are the early days after Christ's ascension back up into heaven, of which we have just sung. And yet John comes to these children, his beloved believers, this fellowship, probably in modern-day Turkey, and he says, children, it is the last hour. Children, be on your guard, because the days are short. Children, time is short. Another Big Ian Paisley story is this. If you ever drive through Ballygan and you pass the old Ballygan uh, church halls, once upon a time they were an orphanage. Uh, and the person that set up in the orphanage had put on outside it a big clock, and it says above the clock, the time is short. Allegedly, Dr. Paisley, when he was building Martyr's Memorial, knew about that clock, heard about that, and wanted the message for himself. And so he stuck that on martyrs as well. Time is short. Anytime you pass through Ballygown, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm glad I don't live here. Maybe every time you pass through Ballygown, you might think, I wonder what these people do at the weekend. There's, there's nothing in this pokey wee place except a garage and a roundabout and a church. But friends, the next time you go through Ballygon on your way to wherever it is you go, turn your little eyes up to that clock and read that little message. It's not made up by someone in Ballygon or by Big Paisley himself. It, it comes from the Word of God. Children, it is the last hour. Children, these days in which we live are the final days. And probably there's not a one of us in this church, the preacher included, who lives their life acknowledging the truth of that. Probably in the morning when you wake up, your la first thought is not, these are the last days. Probably you're fighting to get the children out, or you're maybe discussing the dreams you had around the breakfast table, or you're out of butter, or you're out of milk, or nobody likes bagels and you've tried to be all fancy. That's what family life is like most days. Very few of us will wake believing these are the last days. 
And yet the period of time that the Lord has placed us in, he has knitted us together in our mother's womb. He has providentially put us in this time, in this place, in this church, in this town. These are the last days. The next great event in human history will not be Brexit. It will not be a united Ireland. John weeps now, and he'll probably leave before it finished. But, but these are not the next big events in human history. The next big event is the return of Christ. And friends, I, I say this primarily to you as unbelievers. There's much in this passage for Christians, and we will go there in a wee second. But as unbelievers who hear this, please understand indeed that it is the last days. The last days. Who knows how many more there are in front of us? Will you see out your lifetime, perhaps, Will your children and their children and their children and their children? Perhaps. But we do not know. But what we can be sure of is that these are the final days before Christ's return. And for that return, we must be ready. Do you know, if you had been born in Jerusalem all those years ago, it would have been possible for you to have been born in that great city and they have heard the preaching and teaching of Jesus in that great city. You perhaps were a witness to his trial, arrest, crucifixion in that great city. And perhaps you even heard rumors of his resurrection in that great city. But then you went about your business. And you might be tempted to say about the life of Christ, oh, it wasn't the end of the world. But my friends, make no mistake. When Christ returns for a second time, it will literally be the end of the world. And those who are alive to see it will not be around after it's finished. They will either be in heaven or in hell. My friends, it is the last days for which we must be ready. So please hear me on that today. John says clearly, children, it is the last hour. And that unfolds his teaching to these Christians, but... But on believers, it is the last hour. The days are short. Trust Christ and be saved before the time is up. The last days have come, says John. And this isn't just something that he has made up or invented himself. He bases it on revealed truth from God himself. Why does John believe it is the last hour? Because as he tells these individuals, there are many false teachers around. He says it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. John makes it clear we know that we are living in the last days because there are false teachers abounding in the church of Jesus Christ. We know that the time is short because there are many Antichrists who have come and will come in the future. John points us here to the fact that these Christians have heard that Antichrist is coming. And John points forward here to the Antichrist, the capital T-H-E Antichrist, the Antichrist who is to come. Paul does not use the word Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verses 3 to 4. Instead, he speaks of the Antichrist in this way. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, the, the last day, the great day, will not come unless the rebellion comes first 
and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Here is the term that Paul gives to the Antichrist. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction, Paul calls him, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Paul tells us plainly about the Antichrist. And John underlines that. He says, you have heard that Antichrist will come. And friends, Antichrist is still to be revealed in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. I, I firmly believe that the Bible points us in that direction. That in the final days before Christ's return, the Antichrist will be revealed. He will be a man, perhaps, who will be great in political power, great certainly in religious power, and he will take his place on the throne where God alone should be, and he will be the enemy of the church of Jesus Christ, and he will do all that he can to stamp out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the Antichrist. But just in case we are sitting today thinking, well, I hope I'm not around to see that, John makes it clear. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, but soon now, he says, many Antichrists have come. Many individuals who despise Christ. Many individuals who preach lies and heresy. Many individuals who are in the church of Jesus Christ seeking to, to rob Christ of his glory, taking titles and positions that Christ alone should have, leading Christians astray, if possible, even the elect. John says many antichrists have already come. This is why we know it is the last hour. And friends, as you sit here today, you can think, well, Scott, we are a good Bible-believing church. Many antichrists perhaps were able to sneak into these fellowships, but it will never happen here. Never, ever, ever happen here. John shakes us from our slumber. He says, where these antichrists have come from, these individuals who, who are against Jesus, anti-Christ, anti-Jesus. He says in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. Friends, where did these antichrists find their source, their genesis, their beginning? Within the church of Jesus Christ. And this is why it is vitally important to have elders, to have shepherds of God's flock, to have individuals called to that role who listen to every sermon, who put every sermon under the scrutiny of God's word, who pray about everything that is taught in the church. Friends, we have elders to to shepherd and to guard against error. That is why an elder should be a man who loves the Lord and loves the Word and sits under it regularly and says, that's not right. Because antichrists rise within the church. And over history we have seen that, haven't we? We have, we have seen uh, Jim Jones in the 70s taking a thousand people away to Guyana believing that Jim Jones was worth following. And he started out preaching the gospel, but he got to a place where he was preaching communism. And Jim Jones took the place of Christ. And Jim Jones led a thousand people to commit suicide. And just 25 years ago, another man in Texas, a man called David Koresh, gathered not as many people around him, 
but several hundred nevertheless, proclaiming that he was another Christ. And he came from the Seventh-day Adventist movement, a movement which itself is an error, but he took that error and magnified it, and more people were gulled into a false sense of truth and security, and, and they lost their lives. And you think, Scott, it, 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 couldn't, it couldn't happen here. But my brothers and sisters, John writes this truth to us and tells us to be on our guard, not to be men and women who, who think, ah, sure, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Sure, Scott's a decent fella, isn't he? Scott's all right. He wouldn't tell us lies. Friends, I promise you before Almighty God, I endeavor never to stand in this pulpit and to preach heresy to you. But if you sit there with your Bible closed, if you allow sermons to go in one ear and out the other, if you allow anything to come out of this pulpit, then, then my friends, you are in great danger. Stay awake. For the hour is near that Christ is coming, and many antichrists, many false teachers have already come. And they have risen up in the church of Jesus Christ, says John, and they are individuals who deny that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 22 says, Who is the liar? But he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And the reality of any false teaching is, is that they always will stand or fall around what they say about Jesus. They will stand or they will fall around what they say about Jesus. Today, my friends, that is the reality of the spirit of Antichrist. Jesus is the target. Jesus is the one that they set their crosshairs to and, and pull the trigger. Jesus is the one who they despise, and so they deny that Jesus is the Christ. They say that he was just a good example, a, a good man, somebody that we can learn from, but, but certainly not the Son of God. This is the liar. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Not only that, this is the Antichrist, says John in verse 22, he who denies the Father and the Son. This uh, teaching that they bring denies Christ and therefore, by extension, denies the Father. It was Jesus who, who says in response to Philip's question, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him in John 14, Have I been with you all so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. And so if Jesus is the source of the attack, if he is the one that the Antichrist and the false teachers want to get rid of, then by an extension it is an attack on the Father. He who denies the Father and the Son. In verse 23, John says quite clearly, but maybe to our modern ears quite harshly, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And in this day and age, we know what it's like. We, we see other faiths. We see other religions. And, and many Christian teachers in the church will say, well, you know, these are, these are friends of ours. They're just on a different path. They're following their spook on the wheel, but it's, it's leading them to God. They're, they're just on a different road. My friends, if you consider the teachings of Islam, you will see what they say about Christ. They deny Christ, and therefore they are anti-Christ. If you see the teachings of Buddhism or Judaism who, who deny Christ, my friends, these other faiths are, are not our buddies. 
we're not all on the same path. We're not all going to get there eventually on the, on the same road, on the same source, the same destination. Nonsense. The focus of the Christian church is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ and Him crucified. And if we deny Him, we deny the Father. And no one who denies the Son has the Father, says John. These men and women might be outside the church or inside the church. They might seem incredibly well-meaning people. They might look really, really handsome like the Mormons who come to visit you every other week. They're, they're great fellows, lovely lads. You'd be happy if they married your daughter, but they are anti-Christ. And John says, we know it is the last hour because many anti-Christs have come. Friends, today I urge you as men and women of faith to understand the days that we are in. To be men and women who do not sit back and realize and think, well, actually, you know, everything's all right. But to understand that we live in a war zone, maybe not literally down the street here, but a war zone, a spiritual war zone where, where truth is at stake. Where truth is at stake. And we are blessed in this town with many Bible-believing and Bible-preaching churches. This is not a rant to say, oh, we are the only ones that have got it right. You could go to numerous churches in this town and you would hear the same gospel, you would hear the same truth. We are blessed. But I pray that because of that blessing, we, we do not get a wee bit slow and lethargic, always thinking, oh, sure, it'll never go wrong here. It'll never go wrong in this place. Friends, be on your guard. Be on your guard against all kinds of false teaching wherever it comes from. Stand firm against it. Correct with love and gentleness. But if possible and if necessary, then show at the door and say, this is not what we believe. This is anti-Christ. This is not of God. And so the church will stand on the truth and reject this error. It is this that John urges us to do in this passage. He says to us after he teaches us about Antichrist that we are to let what we have heard from the beginning, verse 24, abide in us. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. The Christian is to abide in the truth. The Christian is to be a man or a woman or a child who who loves the Word of God, who, who reads it and sits under it and memorizes it and, and goes to it back to front. It is the, the sure guide of life, not our dreams, not the presence of angel feathers in our worship, not any of the stuff that often passes for good and vibrant Christianity, but the Word of God. This is the, the rock. This is the standard. This is the what lasts in this life. You try tomorrow morning to remember your dream. You try to tell your wife about the dream you had, and, and, and quickly it escapes. But this word, this stands forever. And if we are men and women who understand the time in which we live, the last days, and we understand the dangers of the last days, that many antichrists have come seeking to destroy the church, seeking to, to teach lies and error, to point the target at Christ and to do away with him, if possible, we understand that, then our response to it is to abide in the truth. 
Jesus tells us that we are not alone in that effort. Because the believer in this passage, we are told, has been anointed by the Holy Spirit, as we read in verse 20. And you all have knowledge. The Lord Jesus, when he walked on earth, told us that it was to our advantage that he would go away. In John 16, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Lord here, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was coming. And all who exercise saving faith in Christ would be gifted and blessed by the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, who would dwell within. And the Spirit would come, says Jesus, and he would have a convicting ministry. He would convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. But also in verse 13, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, says Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Friends, as a believer today, you are richly blessed. You have the word of God in your own language, not just in the pew in front of you, but no doubt in your own home. I've lost count of how many Bibles are in the months up the road. Family Bibles, Bibles that were a gift to me, Bibles that I've had for years, Bibles that are relatively new, children's Bibles. The presence of God's word in your homes, in your hand, must mean that eventually it will get into your heart. You will abide in that word. Because preachers come and go. And preachers are not always correct in what they say. And churches will come and go, sometimes standing on the truth and then, sad to say, falling away into error, following the spirit of the age. But the word of God stands forever. And as a believer, when you open it, you open it and read it, and the Spirit reveals the truth to you. Do you remember before you were a Christian that, that you didn't want to read the Bible? That you didn't understand it? That you didn't want to understand it? Certainly there were a few wee passages that you liked. You know, Jesus walking on the water, that was a good one. And David killing Goliath, you, you liked that one. But, but aside from that, and then suddenly when you come to know Christ as your Savior, it's as if you've been given new eyes that that read the word and love the word and sit on to the word? Friends, that is not accidental. That is not just some random chance occurrence. You have been born again. And the word says that when we are born again, we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And we have all knowledge. The Spirit comes and, and helps us and, and shows us the Christ. And not only that, but we have the local church. We have, we have the elders who, who should be apt to teach. Elders who will be able to open the word and help you and say to you, this is what this passage means. And we have the creeds, and we have the confessions, and we have the history and the orthodox teaching of the church of Jesus Christ. We have everything we need to abide in the truth. And my friends, if you think today it's, this is a rant that you don't need to hear, if you think that you are in no danger of ever slipping from the truth, then perhaps, my brother, my sister, you are in more danger than perhaps you could ever possibly know. The response to this passage is not arrogance. Not to say that, that we will never be like this. We will always be on our guard against all kinds of anti-Christ. Friends, I hope that those aren't just empty words. 
as a church? What is the purpose of this place? What is my goal as long as I am in this pulpit? It is to open this book and to say what it teaches plainly without fear or favor. Whatever may come, we proclaim that this is the word of God. And if there are any among us creeping in through an open window or already among us who, without even knowing it, are part of the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of this age, then may we have the courage to stand against that individual. The believer knows the truth. The believer has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. The believer understands the day and age that we are living in. The believer, as a result, therefore, abides in the truth. But most of all, the believer abides in Christ. See, it is no mistake, my friends, that Christ is the target of Antichrist. It is no mistake that when you're walking down the street in Balnehinch, you hear Christ's name taken in vain. It's no mistake that that you hear him mocked and scorned. They don't scorn other religions because that's disrespectful, but, but Jesus is fair again. Why do you think that is? Why do you think Christ is often the target of the world's attack? Why do you think when a church goes wrong, it's Christ that they leave behind in the dust? Why do you think? It is because Jesus It's the way and the truth and the life. And if we are to see heaven, if our sins are to be forgiven, if the great enemies of God's people are to be defeated, if sin and death and Satan are to be trampled under, then it is only in and through the finished work of Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no other So, beloved, do not be surprised when this world despises you because you love Christ, because it hated him first. So in these days of shortness, in these days of error, may we be people of the book and people of the Christ, the one who ultimately, regardless of all that is to come in human history, the one who ultimately will be victorious. The anointing, says John, that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. May this be our prayer, Eden Grove, as a church of Jesus Christ. Amen.